Welcome to the High Impact Man podcast. High impact men from across the nation sharing their stories of inspiration, encouragement, and hope to help others become the virtuous leaders they are called to be and that our nation desperately needs. Hello, men. We are coming at you now with another episode of the High Impact Man podcast where we bring men on to tell their stories, uh, and every man has a story. But stories to help hopefully motivate, encourage, and inspire you and bring some guys hope uh, at, just from hearing what other guys went through and how they've been able to be high-impact men in their families and communities and around the world. And so we have our guest today, uh, Aaron Slowpitch Ryder. He is an F3 man. If, if you listen to this podcast, you know a little bit about F3. If you don't go to F3, uh, it stands for Fitness, Fellowship, and Faith. It is a worldwide now movement of men where we do free outdoor workouts, and uh, it involves a lot of fellowship and motivation and encouragement and accountability. And the third part, the faith part, comes into play when we start giving back to our communities, and uh, you have to believe in something bigger than yourself. Uh, for many of us, we're Christians. Dial up and Spielberg and I, who bring this podcast to you, are Christians, and uh, we love the Lord, And uh, we're, but, uh, but you don't have to be. Uh, to take advantage of what F3 has to offer. We have a great guest today, uh, Slow Pitch. He's from F3 Omaha, so he's out there in the middle of the country. Peyton Manning made that place famous. Omaha! Omaha! So anyway, uh, he uh, actually is a second time recording because we had a little bit of a glitch when we recorded him the first time, a little power outage at my house where the Nan Cave is located, from which we bring you the High Impact Man podcast. Uh, and we lost the first half. And so we got to re-record the first half. I'm telling you now, from the last time we recorded, you want to listen to this man's story. Uh, it really gets uh, real and gritty and encouraging. Uh, and I was, I was very much moved by it. Uh, he's uh, overcome addiction issues and to become a high-impact man that he is today. So, my name is Nevin Gorky. I am known as DFib to the F3 brothers that I work out with in the morning, in the gloom, we call it. And I'm joined, as always, by Troy Klinger, uh, known as Dial-Up in that same gloom. Uh, we work out together, although I haven't been around for a few days because of work. Dial-Up, did you miss me? Yeah, deeply. We missed you. <laughs> <laughs> no, Don't we did. get too sentimental. We now. did. Yeah. I, got, I, just, I, I, I got a little choked up. All <laughs> right. You've been going. <laughs> And now you're going to go on vacation, so like I am, yes. But I'm going on vacation too, so you are, yeah, yeah. Not so to the same place, but no, no, no. My wife and I are going on a cruise to Greece. So eat your hearts out out there, high impact man, podcast nation. The region, uh, the region will survive without us. I hope so. It better because I want to. I'll, I'll need. I'll need to get back into it when I come back <laughs> after eating all those whatever you eat over there on the cruise ship. There's a lot. You'll be ship shape. I'll be ship shape. All right. <laughs> Okay, so um, without further ado, uh, we will bring in our guest, Slow Pitch. Slow Pitch out in Omaha. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, thanks. I appreciate you having me on uh, Part and Do. Part uh, so thank you. This is Slow um, Pitch, would... almost a sequel, right? But not quite a sequel. Ball two. <laughs> Ball two. <laughs> two. Ball two. Strike two. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, last, so, last anyway. time we talked to you, the College World Series was going on out there. It was, uh, and since then, um, everyone's left, and uh, you know the, the the fans of Mississippi uh, went home uh, and celebrated uh, quite hard uh, here, and then maybe on the on the drive home too. But um, it was quite interesting. They're good. They're good folks. It was it was exciting. 
So it's fun to see everyone come to town and the place is full of, of people that were rebel fans. So rebel fans. Anyways. Yeah. I didn't even know who won, to be honest with you. If I knew I'd forgotten, but I know I, I didn't know. Yeah. Oh well. Shows you my interest in college baseball. Um, maybe it should be more. Anyway, uh, welcome back, brother. I guess you got to tell us again how you got involved with F3, who EH'd you, and how did you get your name Slow Pitch? Uh, yeah, so just circle back real quick. You're going on a cruise. I just ran with a guy this morning who just got back from a cruise. I just did a cruise uh, at, the, at the beginning of June, and everybody that I know that returns from a cruise – uh, is in uh, tenfold poorer shape than when they left for the cruise, <laughs> even if it's only, you know, five days, right? Or however many days you're going, because yeah. you can eat, you know, up until you go to bed, and then you wake up and eat more. And then you tell yourself you're going to exercise, but you sit by the pool um, <laughs> or or just the beach. So, anyways, I, I wish you luck on the return back. Yeah, so. thanks. The buffets are real, and uh, they're always available. And I cannot yeah. avoid the late-night pizza. All right, we're taking Royal Caribbean. They have this like big area in the middle. I forget what they call it, but anyway, the promenade. Uh, yeah, the promenade. Thank you, the promenade. They got this yeah. little place that always is serving pizza and other things. And somewhere around ten o'clock at night, after the show, we go to whatever. I'm sitting down eating some pizza before I go to bed. That's a bad move. Yeah, you know, I, I was also thinking you tried this before you went on a cruise. We were curious if you ran laps on the deck, right? If it was going to look like one of those spirograph things that we played with as a kid, right on Strava, you mean? Yeah. On Strava, right, yeah. right, right. So, would you look like? Would your Strava look like was a spirograph of you running in circles but moving forward? Right. And you you couldn't get a reading, but no, but I, yet Clay's. Uh, no, I got one. Did you? It, it was just a, it was just a circular spirograph thing. Because yeah, when I was on the, out at sea, it was just a circly circly spirograph thing. Ah, because Lowe's did it, and like he was like cruising at like like twenty some miles an hour or something like that for his run. Oh, on his on his Strava. I need to readjust my watch so it makes me yeah. look faster. So you're gonna have to experiment again. I can tell you that every cruise I've gone on, I think pretty much I've I've run at least a few of the days on the running deck, uh, and I've hit the gym a couple times. Um, so anyway, I promise out there, F3 Nation. DFib will run at least three days out of the eight, maybe four, and come back no more than five pounds heavier. No, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna limit it to three. Three pounds, all right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Three. That's pounds. impressive. I, I literally I was eight point nine pounds when I came back, and the pieces that you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I we'd go down there like nine thirty, ten o'clock, and uh, if there's anything about just how my my chemical makeup is, I and that pizza's not very good. I mean, no. I don't care. It, it's it's actually. It's well below average. Yeah, it's like frozen but, pizza. Yeah. <laughs> best, on, on, its, on its best moment. Right. And uh, so I'd go, give me uh, two of them red velvet cupcakes and then the fudge bar. <laughs> I'll take uh, two pepperoni, one sausage, cheese pizza. And then what is that there? Yeah, yeah. I'll, get, I'll take two. Give and me it's that just thing. like, that's, you know, that's how that went about every night. So Yeah, they have some anyway. olive and cheese thing there I like too, but anyway. Yeah, I'm, I know. I, I have a little bit more discipline than that. I usually eat about two sl- slices, and they're small slices. But And the other thing that, that saves me is I never get the alcohol package, so I don't drink that much alcohol. It, it would cost me more money to get the package. So for those of you who don't know, by the way, this segment of the High Impact Man podcast is brought to you by Royal Caribbean Cruises. <laughs> <laughs> but for those of you who don't know, you, uh, you, you could spend, I don't know, like seven, $800 and get all the alcohol you want on your cruise. My wife and I don't drink that much. We might drink one or two alcoholic beverages a day, maybe on like the cruise. Is that like per person that. for that package? Yes. 
Yeah, but if you man, believe me, these cruisers they drink a lot. Oh yeah, so they're saving money, but it would cost us money. But anyway, I think I save some calories by uh, I drink a lot of iced tea on the cruise, which is which is my beverage of choice usually anyway. So. Half and half. Yeah, but I will have the Bon Voyage drink when when the ship sets sail, which is like a, I don't I can't remember it's a, it's like two two like strawberry daiquiri and a pina colada mixed together or something like that. All right, all right. So how'd you get involved with anyway. F three? Who H you? How'd you get your name? <laughs> Uh, my, so my brother's EHV. So I, um, I've got a brother, uh, Tater Tot is his name. And he started with F3, um, about six months into when F3 almost started. And then I've got a younger brother who's about uh, 13 or 14 years younger than myself. Uh, his name's Bubbles. And, uh, he started after uh, my brother Tater Tot and they would, um, you know, they have these conversations about, you know, exercises and the, the goofy terms and the nicknames of people that are all, you know, around them. And, and so, uh, I, at the time I was just, you know, going to uh, the gym and running on a treadmill and playing softball then, which, you know, everybody knows that that's a pretty high intensity sport. Yes. High risk. Um, so I was, you know, I was staying, uh, extremely fit through playing first base right. um, because that if you you know if you've ever played slow pitch softball you know that the fastest elite athletes are usually at first base right um and so i was there and then i, I was i came home from a, um, a game and my, my brother bubble said hey tomorrow is our one-year anniversary would you like to join us and i said you know i i'm not certain but if um if you see me at seven o'clock, I'm there. If you don't, I'm not. And so, um, I, I ultimately showed up, but you know, the, the, the thing is, is I don't like, a whole, I didn't like a whole lot of physical, physical activity. And so one of my favorite things, we went there, we started doing the warmerama. We did uh, sun guys or arm circles. And I was like, I can get into this. And um, then, you know, we went through, you know, uh, uh, about, you know, 45 minutes of something that was well beyond that. And at the end, you know, you, you walk out and they say, you know, tell us a little bit about you, we'll name you. I said, you know, I, I'm a recovering alcoholic and a drug addict and I play softball. And somebody goes, slow pitch. And then that was it. And, you know, the, left, the rest has kind of been uh, history as far as that goes. And there wasn't, there's nothing, there's no... No trick or story to that, except for that. Yeah, when was but, when was that? How long ago was that? That was uh, April of 2019. So I just celebrated my third year of of participating in F3 uh, just this last this last spring. Nice, nice. So, Did you lose a lot of weight? Yeah. Did I lose a lot of weight? You know, um, so yes and no. Uh, I had started uh, making, I had had an event, a family event, where I physically threatened uh, some, was it my, my wife's family uh, on Christmas Eve, and it was, uh, it was, a, it was a low point. Now, I had been sober for 11 or 12 years, and um, so... There, I, it was a reaction. It was a very poor reaction to how somebody, how I perceived somebody treating my wife, which happened to be uh, her brother. Mm -hmm. And then I uh, overreacted and poorly, poorly reacted in front of my family, in front of my children, my wife and her and her family. 
And so at that moment, I realized, you know, this is as sober as I'm ever going to get. And uh, it scared me. So um, I knew I needed to make a change. I didn't know what that was. You know, I had been in the rooms of, of Alcoholics Anonymous for, you know, well over a decade. And that was my natural state was to react and physically threaten somebody. And so uh, it, was a, it was a very defeating and, and horrible space to be in. And so um, I knew I needed to make a change. I used to, to drink Diet Coke like crazy. I love Diet Coke. Um, and so one of the first things I did was stop drinking Diet Coke. Like that was going to you know, spiritually, you know, slingshot me into the, uh, into some sort of universe, but it, it didn't happen. Um, I started then, you know, uh, participating, you know, with more intent when I go to a gym and run uh, because I was just, I, I didn't know if it's physical, spiritual, mental, I didn't know what it was that I needed. Um, but I believe in, for some of us in F3, you get intercepted hopefully at the right spot. And for me, um, that was when I was feeling extremely low in sobriety. I was, I was starting to, um, I, don't, I wasn't spiritually bankrupt, but I, it certainly was, there's a lot more expenses than there were, you know, building equity uh, with, with my faith. And so I needed something. So I saw something with my brothers uh, that it was something that was very attractive. And so when my brother asked me, I, it was, I was okay. You know, there's that distance, that gap, right. Um, of do I feel crappy enough? Am I in just enough shape? And can I see myself participating in that? And that gap wasn't too far, right. So I, you could make the step and, and that's where I made the step. And so I was already losing some weight, but then when I got into F3 and really dove into it, um, you know, I was going to, workouts and I was running over lunch and then I started pre-running and, and anyways, it kind of got, um, you know, a little bit more aggressive. I lost about 45 pounds from January through June. And so I just, you know, I, you know, I've, I've lost that. Well, that's a lot and, in six yeah. months. There you go. Hey, yes. That's like, that's like <laughs> <eight>. <laughs> nice. You know, it really was, uh, you know, and then when, you know, anyways, I, I, F3 is a, is an amazing vessel for that, right? I get, you get an upfront, uh, first row of seeing people change their life. Um, and it can happen immediately, right? It doesn't, it doesn't have to take years. Uh, you, you know, I get to see, I love seeing big guys come in. I really do. It's the right. thing that makes my heart kind of patter. Right. Um, and I, and I run over to them because, um, you know, when you put your shoes on for the first time for physical activity and it's not for, you know, whatever, mowing the yard or going to, you know, target and, you know, that nervousness that you have and the alarm that went off and the courage that it took that morning, you know, I look at it and I'm like, you're, today's the day that you've made a huge choice. And so I, I never want to forget that. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and that's happened to me uh, in recovery when I decided to get sober and that's happened to me in recovery when I decided to uh, move to F3. And I can tell you that those are two of the largest um, hurdles or life decisions I've ever made. And, you know, I think we've talked about forks in the road. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been forks in the road where we've, I've made a decision that's maybe not most beneficial for my health, um, but has, you know, that's been the path that's got me here. And I've made decisions at that fork where it's ultimately enhanced my, my 
life beyond what I could ever imagine. And yeah. so uh, those are two of them. Well, you know what Yogi Berra said about when you come to a fork in the road? <laughs> he said, take it. <laughs> when you come to a fork in the road, take it. All right, Yogi Berra. So uh, let's, let's uh, talk about how you grew up. Uh, I'm going to let you run through it you know, kind of briefly. Tell me where you grew up, what life was like there, and you know, how you got through. Um, when, you know, how did you first get involved with alcohol and drugs and that kind of stuff? Yeah, uh, you know, grew up, great family. You know, parents were really loving and caring, really involved with uh, just helping me, you know, try to be a good kid. Um, and always involved with sports um, activities. You know, my dad was um, was was uh, fairly strict um, and wanted us, or at least you know, to be disciplined. Um, and then, but then also wanted us to be, you know, athletic and be able to, to be competitive uh, in sports. And so you, I grew up in that, you know, environment and mm. I had a very loving mom who came from a, an alcoholic family. Um, and so from a very young age, I was, I was told that I have very high likelihood, uh, likelihood of, of becoming an alcoholic if I decide to massage that muscle. And so... Um, I didn't think much of it. You know, I probably when I was in third or fourth grade, I had a cousin who were at my, my, my grandparents' farm. And I remember um, smelling gasoline in the back of their uh, little snapper tractor. And, and there was a change in mentality or in my mindset. And I felt different and I liked it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there was other times where it's either you know, like some sort of cleaning solution um, or some kind of inhalant that I would, you know, try and eventually realize that, you know, those kind of took me away from feeling like me. And I don't know, you know, I, I always kind of, you know, I had really big legs and, and uh, my butt was like the size of a Cadillac trunk. And so um, I had ears that, you know, I was born with. My ears have been the same size since I've been born. And so kids, you know, made fun of me for having, you know, big ears um, and kind of squinty eyes. And so, you know, I kind of felt inadequate, you know, at times. Um, and so I realized at a fairly young age, you know, it was just nice to feel different. And, but I didn't know how to necessarily achieve that um, in repetition until, you know, you get to, you know, I probably I was 15 or so when I was introduced to alcohol. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first, the first time I drank, there was, it was warm Budweiser's. Um, Ooh, it was in, in, and so, uh, if anyone's enjoyed, um, but heavy, they know that typically, you know, 70 degree Budweiser is not <laughs> most delicious. However, uh, I drank three of them. I threw up and I passed out mm -hmm. and that was, I felt like was, that was amazing. Right. That was, um, what I thought was I, I achieved, you know, a, a really good feeling. And so that's how I would drink, you know, through high school would be, you know, I had a, I had a curfew at like 1130 or so, and I would drink as much as I could from, you know, it was basically a six pack, you know, from, uh, you know, six or seven o'clock at night on a weekend and pass out by, you know, seven thirty eight o'clock after I throw up, I wake up and then I'd go and I'd check in with my parents because, my parents, you know, wanted me to be on time when I got there. And, and so I just repeated that, um, you know, really through my, my senior year in high school. 
got introduced to uh, pot um, about the same time. Really enjoyed that. And uh, I recognized, you know, I, I didn't run around with bad kids. You know, I, I ran around, um, you know, I was, I was an athlete. I was a vice president of our uh, student advisory board for the school. You know, I um, was on the homecoming court. And I'm not sharing this to tell you, you know, hey, I was a super cool kid. I'm just, right. you know, I, it's because it was just, you know, life. And, and, and I was, um, you know, just trying to be a part of, you know, and um, of whether it's in academics and, and being, you know, okay in those or athletics and, and okay in those. Um, but for some reason, even being a part of all those things, I just felt apart from internally and so i felt like maybe i was trying to escape um me, me being me if that makes any sense yeah and that's crazy isn't it because not crazy but um but you, it's not like you came from a broken home had a good life yeah, how yeah. These, right yeah so it could it happen to anybody this uh addiction issues no no socioeconomic bounds right yeah it's interesting too that your 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 mom you know even shared with you the you know that that predisposition that you had from from a genetic per, genetics perspective from her side of the family too, and like even though your radar was up, like you still ended up going down that path. Yeah, it, you know, there's a part of me that almost wanted to challenge that, right? Like, I'll prove um, you wrong. I'll show you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's there 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 is that um, whatever that gene is. I have that inside me. Um, and so there, there's been times throughout my life where I was going to prove somebody wrong. Uh, I, you know, I had really long hair and I had earrings and my dad told me he didn't want me to look like a gypsy. And then I, you know, I, I'd probably have a hard time becoming whatever that was going to be. And so I just decided to keep that because I was going to show him. Right. And then, um, there's been multiple, uh, times in my life where I, felt like I'd just kind of bow up and let everybody know I'm going to be something that they say I'm not going to. Um, and, uh, so, you know, it, it's just, that's kind of a common thread with some things too, but that's just, you know, really it's, the, it's it, a lot of that's because I didn't feel comfortable who I am inside, mm -hmm. you know? And so I was fortunate enough to get a, uh, athletic scholarship to play football and uh, I loved I love playing uh, football, and so I went to a small small Division three school. Went there, participated in that, and ultimately, you know, I got introduced to um, ephedrine when I was there, um, which is like it was legal speed at the time. It's now you know then it turned into something a major ingredient in methamphetamines. But anyways. So I'd eat these mini thins and then I'd stand on the sideline. Like I wasn't playing. I was just like, I was the number one cheerleader. You know, I'd have my helmet on and I was like, just filled up with jet fuel, ready to go nowhere. Right. But just really locked and loaded. And I don't know if you've ever imagined, you know, drinking as much caffeine as you possibly can, but you can't go anywhere. You just kind of stand and sweat. And so um, that was my role uh, there, but I liked that, you know, and then, um, the year after, the summer after I was playing my freshman year, I remember I was standing there mowing yards, and I had to go. I was supposed to report back to uh, to play to for camp, and we were smoking a joint, and I realized that it was just a lot easier 
to smoke grass than it was to, to go play football at that time. And at this time, my diet was we go to work at, you know, like six or seven in the morning, you eat these mini thins, you smoke grass, you get off work, you drink beers until about one or two o'clock in the morning, you wake up four hours later, you eat these mini thins, and you just repeat this cycle, right, of just, um, you know, you're indestructible at age 19, at least you feel like it. Uh, and so that's, you know, I, I did that, but you know, it, it, you know, going back to the fork in the road, uh, I, I stood there, I, I truly loved playing football, right? I wasn't very good, you know, on, on <laughs> at a lot of things. Uh, what I, what I was good at is, is getting hit really hard and standing back up. Right. And, um, and, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the camaraderie. I enjoyed the laughter. I enjoyed the locker room, the, you know, just all that's with it. And yet, um, I decided that it was it was best that I use drugs and alcohol rather than continue to follow something I love. Yeah, and, you know, you're, um, you're like you were primed for F three, right? I like to abuse myself. Yeah. It feels good. <laughs> I could take a hit, and get up, and I like the camaraderie. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. it was... I show up for you guys. You know? right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So so you were this was going on in college. So how bad did it get? What's the worst low well, point? Uh, I can tell you. So I was interested. So I, I switched schools and just went. And I, I'm going to use focus on academics and quotations. But we, I stopped playing sports. I uh, so I, I got introduced to cocaine, and I, I, I sought it out. Right? I really. I, I was like, that looks like a fun drug. I should try it. So I, you know, searched it out for like a semester. I was. It was. It was. Somebody provided it for me or to me. I loved it. Uh, then I, I looked at, I looked for it again. Got introduced to methamphetamines because we're. It, 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 so you know, if there's one kind of scumbag in a room, there's another scumbag that is similar in that room, and another. So we're all really pretty close to each other. So if I wanted one thing and that wasn't there, the next thing closest to it was there, provided by somebody else. And if that wasn't there, there's another one that's provided by somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. So. These are the people that I hung out with, and, and realistically, that is who I am. So, can you can and you so spot I, can you spot somebody that like if you're I, I I'm you know this I'm naive about this. Like if you're looking for drugs, can you figure out who has them, who doesn't, where who to talk to? Is that something that's easy to do? I I, I can do it today easily. Really? Right? Wow. Without a doubt, it's it's not. Um, in fact, I know people who I know the ones to feel uneasy around, and if that if that makes any sense today, where I can be like, that is an individual that I need to stay clear of. Yeah, right? there's, yeah. there's no there's no good aura coming from that part of the room. Hmm. Um, so maybe that sounds really judgmental. Um, no, but, I don't uh, think so. And, uh, listen, you know, listen, uh, we we all judge, so that's okay. <laughs> and if you're, if and you're, if, judging, and if you just judge me saying we all judge, then you just judged. And so. if your judging is accurate, that's not really being judgmental, then, right? You're just right. It's being accurate. <laughs> <laughs> well, some, you know, I have a tough time believing that uh, there's times where I'm, I, I, I can I can picture somebody like that guy's on drugs and then be wrong. Um, there's just, or you know, anyways, it's it's not a gift. It's it's, <laughs> right. it's the opposite of whatever. A gift would be, but I have that, right? That ability, that radar. Hmm. Um, so, uh, 
when I was 22, I moved back in with my parents. I'm working for a painting company and I'm working as a bartender in a downtown bar and really not aspiring to be much more than a bartender and um, a guy that likes to drink and, and use drugs. And one Sunday we started drinking fairly early. I went out looking for cocaine. I couldn't find it. An individual had ecstasy and uh, we were um, at, a, at another at another bar later in the evening. Been drinking for like seven or eight hours. And the guy said, hey, whatever you do, don't take these. And he could tell that I was more intoxicated uh, than uh, one should be in order to take, you know, the ecstasy. And I told him, like, hey, man, you don't know me. And so I took two of them. And, you know, I don't know what that time frame was from when I took them to uh, I, I went off the bar stool, kind of went into seizures. Um, my uh, The guys that I was with picked me up threw me in the car. I had super long hair at the time. I, you know, I was vomiting, you know, all in the car and they're, they're, they're all panicking because they think that, you know, I'm going to die in the vehicle. Um, they're, they're so panicked that they drive past the hospital and eventually take me down to another hospital and basically get me out of the car and just dump me in the ER and drive off. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, I'm left there. The medical staff doesn't know, what I'm on. They, you know, they, they, they're not certain, you know, how to, I don't know if it's treat or whatever the term would be, but they're not certain, you know, what I, I need to do now. I've become where, um, I'm non-responsive. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, long and short, somehow a friend of mine finds out I'm down there because the guys that dropped me off called one of my buddies and said, Hey, we just threw Ryder in the, ER, he's having some sort of like heart seizure or something. We left him. And he's like, dude, why would you leave him? So he went down there and told him that I had taken ecstasy. And then eventually, so then, you know, um, they let me know that I was non-responsive for quite some time. Uh, they felt as though that I had lost my life, uh, that I was able to come back. Um, and, well, and I find that out the next morning, right? You wake up, I, I have a catheter. Um, you know, I've got uh, vomit, you know, all, you know, stuck in my hair and my dad's at the end of the bed. And, um, and I was lucky to be alive. And however, the doctor's telling me these things, you know, and I, and I'm, I'm like, what? you know, like I, I need to leave. And, and the doctor's like, well, you were, you know, son, you were dead. You know, like we, we didn't know if you're going to make it back. And so in my mind, I'm like, but how dead, like really like on a scale of one to 10, was I a five, you know, like, cause I want to know how serious this is, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, um, and I didn't know, you know, I didn't, I didn't take it seriously. And so I remember, you know, I didn't stay that night. Um, I went home with my dad. My dad was, uh, just extremely disappointed. I can't imagine, you know, being a parent today, what that'd be like to be standing at the foot of your oldest son you know, in a, an emergency room or, you know, whatever room that was and seeing him hooked up to IVs and, and knowing that he had just um, skirted death uh, through, um, you know, a great medical staff and also, you know, probably the hand of God uh, within there and allowing me to have another opportunity of life. And did your dad, and, did, did your dad 
know that you were having these struggles up until this point, or is this how you like found out? Um, it was it was apparently it was it was apparent that I was drinking too much, and that I smelled like pot all the time. Right, like that's those are two probably facts that he knew. I don't know if he knew to what extent all the other illicit activities that, you know, that were going on, you know, you can assume, Hey, my son's struggling, but with, you know, what I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I think at that time, you know, and so when they, when they, when they ran my blood work, you know, they said that he was, you know, that they found amphetamines in my blood. And so, you know, that's, that's new to my parents, you know, they're like, well, what's, you know, what are amphetamines and why would he be on these things? And, you know, I'm like, Hey, you know, ecstasy is like a bathtub drug, you know, I mean, it's just some, I wouldn't even call him a scientist, but some guy, you know, stirring something up and throwing a handful of this there and a handful of that and then putting a pill, a pill press together. So you know, I was just like, no, that's ecstasy. And, um, the doctors let me know that it's, you know, anyways, it was, it was some form of amphetamines and it, you know, accelerated my heart rate and, uh, it gave me what would appear to be some sort of, uh, seizure or heart, uh, uh, you know, stoppage. Um, so, uh, went to treatment. It was, um, outpatient and I did not take that seriously. I, uh, I, I just, I stopped drinking at the time, but still smoked weed. And then when I was done with that, that happened in October of, of 98. And, then that went, my treatment went through January. And I remember my celebration of my last day of treatment was smoking opium um, in January. Oh, and wow. so that's how, you know, I did not, I, I did not take that recovery serious at that time. So, um, you know, I also didn't think, I didn't think enough about, you know, you were dead, man, right? Like that's, that doesn't happen a lot of times. You know, defib, I think you mentioned, you were talking to G-Ray about having a heart attack, right? And having an out-of-body yeah. experience. Yeah. And I can recall that, you know, in my own world. I remember there's there's moments where I'm like pseudo-dreaming and, and knowing that, that there's bright lights at the hospital and there's nurses and activity and I'm, I'm, being, I'm being scorned for my the words that I'm choosing to say at the time uh, by the medical staff who was, you know, they're, they're scared. They're upset about, you know, my choices. They just want to see this kid live. Right. And I'm being, you know, a, a complete idiot. Mm -hmm. um, but I can, you know, I look back and, and I remember just right after that too, kind of that out of body experience of seeing people there, seeing myself there. Um, and it, it didn't seem real. Yeah. Um, so well, you didn't you didn't really suffer, right? It's not like you were feeling pain or miserable or anything like that. Yeah. But no. even even people that do this this drug addiction is so gripping. Because um, I work in heart in cardiac surgery, and uh, we have to operate on people that are drug addicts who get infections in their heart because they use dirty needles and stuff, and and so that's my exposure in the medical profession to drug addicts and. Uh, it's so bad that, you know, that you could have, you could be on a breathing machine, a ventilator, be um, almost dead. Um, we could 
control the infection to some degree and then take you for open heart surgery. You have lots and lots of pain after that because we rip your chest open and, you know, we put it back together, but it hurts, right? And, uh, but a lot of these people, uh, I would say the majority, uh, go back to using at some yeah. point and then they infect their heart valve that we just put in and et cetera, et cetera. And, it, and it's, it's, it's a terrible situation, but we had one patient years ago that wanted to leave the hospital because she wanted to do drugs. And, um, the, the, we put drainage tubes in your chest after heart surgery. And these are big <clears throat> tubes that are kind of uncomfortable being inside you and they're hooked to a box so anything that's draining out of your chest that, you know, from the surgery, it drains into the box, basically. And this is a while ago, and not somebody I work with now, but the surgeon would leave those tubes in for quite a while, almost like an anchor, so that people don't just leave. So that we could somehow get them through some of it, at least, and get them recovered from their operation before they leave. And this, this woman disconnected her tubes from the box and walked out of the hospital with the tubes hanging out of her chest. Oh, so this is how, you know, gripping this addiction wow. could be. So, um, anyway, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously a horrible experience for you, but don't be too hard on yourself because, uh, you know, you're not alone and, and, um, that's a, just a familiar story, unfortunately. So then what happened? Uh, you know, um, so I was, I, I quit drinking for a year and a half. Uh, and I just, I just did, you know, cocaine and acid and mushrooms and nitrous that's and weed <laughs> Just, just the other, those like 16 other drugs, right? <laughs> but I didn't drink because I thought, you know, drinking was the problem, right? Not these other drugs. But I, so I graduated college and then I, to treat myself uh, for graduating, I went to California to, for uh, like a two week trip with one of my best friends. And I, I said, you know what? I think I'm going to have a beer. And my buddy Bob looked at me like I had 13 heads, you know, like, what? And then he goes, look, I'm not going to buy a, a drink for you. And so at that, you know, at that moment, you know, a lot of us in, we think that we can go back to a controlled consumption kind of life. And I, you know, I had that first night I had four beers and that second night I drank to oblivion, right? Like that's, that's how I ease back into things. Right, right back and, into proving your buddy wrong again, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Let me show you. Yeah, I'll, I'll show, show you, you, man. This is, I can do this. Um, and so realistically with that, you know, I, I end up, you know, I, I, I get a job in a restaurant. Um, you know, I have, uh, some, some relationships, uh, with, you know, with, with girls and, 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 you know, there are times that I was at least vulnerable enough to just share with somebody, Hey, you know, I've got a, I've got a problem. I want to fix it. And there, and, and these girls would be like, you know, they, they think, Oh, he came from a good family. You know, he seems like he's a good kid. I'm certain we can try to get this turned around. But it was just, it's just a mess that they just had to deal with, you know. And and so a lot of them would just, you just wear them out until they're just exhausted, and yeah. to the point where they're just like, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to fix you. You're a wreck. And um, at that time, so about, I was like 24, 25. My parents got a divorce, and so. I really started to use that as like some sort of, uh, you know, reason for my accelerated drug abuse, which, and quite frankly, that's a bunch of crap, right? Like I'm a drug addict and an alcoholic because I chose to drink and, and use too much on top of having some, you know, natural blessings. Uh, but you know, it had nothing to do with anybody else's activity outside of my own world. And so my life started to, um, 
kind of get worse. I got introduced to um, OxyContin at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I was looking for, much like the story where I was looking for uh, cocaine before and I got ecstasy, this time I was looking for cocaine and I was introduced to OxyContin. And then I really enjoyed that. Um, and then the thing about opiates that I never knew, you know, with, with the other drugs, it was mostly psychological. And with opiates, that was the first time I'd ever experienced something where it was physically addictive and in a fairly short period of time. Yeah. It was, um, you know, in the early or the mid, early mid 2000s. So there was um, a substantial amount of people prescribing OxyContin. Mm-hmm. And so it was somewhat available. And I had no idea this um, just black hole that I was accelerated into um, with, with that experience. Um, so that, anyways. <laughs> was, yeah. So tell me, you um, at, at, eventually you had the bright idea to go to South Carolina, or yeah. South Carolina, South Korea, far cry from South Carolina. Should they just combine the Koreas? Yeah, they should, but that might require a war. Yeah, if you're you're a faithful listener to this podcast, we've made that recommendation about the Carolinas and the Dakotas. Dakotas, And and now the Koreas. Now the Koreas, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that one might require a a nuclear war. But anyway, go ahead. Uh, uh, So... I was working at a bar. I, I couldn't, I, I was drinking, so I, I'd keep rumplements in the freezer. I would drink rumplements in the morning just to stop the shakes. I would, I would go, and um, the guy that, I was, that was my manager, you know, he thought that I was um, worth trying to help, so he kept me employed. And, and then he, I would go, you know, he'd, he'd be like, hey, man, you missed the mark again. You know, you, you're drinking in the morning. What are you doing? You know, he couldn't trust me anymore. You know, I had the keys to the place. I was supposed to be in the night nine in the morning and supposed to open up and cook and lunch, but I would just get so wasted that, and you know, before like the lunch rush that you're just, you're just not a very good employee, you know? And, um, I don't, you know, trying to recover in a bar is not very easy. And so there were times I would just go sit in the alley and just cry, you know, by the, the grease bin, you know, and just be like, why, you know, please God help me. You know, I need some help. And, um, then one day this girl comes in that I'm working with. She goes, Oh my God, you're not going to believe it. You can go to South Korea and teach English. You don't even need a teaching degree. I'm sorry. That was, uh, uh. that's okay. It's okay. I know that girl. Yeah. <laughs> we all know her. <laughs> a lot of us know her, uh, <laughs> but that's what stimulated the idea. And I, I immediately was like, I'm going to escape, you know, from this world that I'm living in. And maybe that's enough to disrupt how I'm feeling. And so I looked into it. I did some research. Uh, and that was, you know, early June. I had actually at that time, this was 2006. So January 2006, I had started going to AA. I'd go to a couple meetings. I couldn't stay sober. And I would just repeat that over and over and over. Um, and, and finally, you get to the point where you're just like, you know, I, I, I've had enough. I'm just going to stay drunk. It's so much easier to stay drunk than it is to try to stay sober and disappoint the people around me. And what was happening is I was disappointing. You know, your family members go, oh, my gosh, she's trying it again. And then you, and it's like, ah. Yeah. And you do it over and over. And they, they just get wore out. You know, they're just, they've seen it for a decade. And they just, you know, they're just, they're, they're just kind of over it. And um, what else can you do except for just – you know, detached with love a little bit. So um, when she came up with this idea, 
Um, if that's out there, I told my mom, my mom's like, great. And we got, um, we got a passport. I got interviewed by a, a recruiting company out of Canada and that was on the 4th of July. And by Labor Day, I was, I was heading to South Korea. And at this time I was, I was so, uh, addicted to opiates and I was so fearful of the withdrawal. You know, I didn't want my, I didn't want my family to see that at all. And I knew that if I went to South Korea where I knew no, I didn't know any of their language. I didn't know any, any, anybody there. I wasn't searching for drugs that I would at least be able to detox, feel like complete crap. And nobody that loved me had to see me go through that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so I got on that plane, I, I flew there and I, and I, they had, um, it's, it's called Suboxone. It's, uh, something that they yeah. use for opiate addicts, um, that, uh, sometimes basically so, replaces know, the opiates. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I had a couple of those pills that I had, you know, made it smaller so that I could try to kind of taper down. And then I would just drink into oblivion, you know, um, when I was there and I was terrible at teaching um, they, they, they would tell me that I smelled like alcohol, they, they meaning the, the, the academy, uh, owner and they'd come and they'd sit me down and say, Hey, you know, the students, now this is through an interpreter. Right. And so like, you know, I didn't, none of us knew each, what really each other was saying. I lived in a small community in South, in the South part of South Korea where there wasn't a whole lot of Westerners. And so, you know, they're, they're letting me know, um, you know, they're disappointed in my behavior. And I just let them know that, Hey, you hired an American, you want to know American culture. And so Americans drink over lunch. We drink at night. We love our beer. And so, Hey, I'm probably the best teacher that you're going to have <laughs> because I'm, Wait a, <laughs> this is yeah, we're exporting, right? we're exporting freedom, baby. Way to represent <laughs> brother. <laughs> oh man. I'm the, I was the worst kind of person that you want to represent in your country in a foreign <laughs> What an ambassador. Was, yeah. It was such a disappointment. Everybody here was, was just like, just upset. So I'm, I apologize to all of our uh, citizens of the States when I was there. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so I, you know, I went through, um, you know, you, you lose sleep, you're, you go through shakes, you, you shiver, you go through sweats, you have hallucinations, you hear things, um, you can't, you just, you just can't feel right. And so my whole deal was I would just drink as much as I possibly could until I got to that moment where I'd pass out. And then I'd wake up and I'd try to drink again until I'd pass out. And uh, my, my, my insides, my kidneys, and my stomach, everything hurt so bad when alcohol would initially touch it. You know, and, but there's, you know, I, you, I don't know if it, either of you guys have ever been to the point where you have to drink so much that mentally you get past any sort of physical pain. Um, and that's where I was trying to achieve most every, every evening. Uh, and then I just sit and I would sit and cry, um, about, and, and I ask God, you know, please, you know, I need your help. You know, I just, I, I can't, this is not life. And, uh, you know, I just, I, you know, you, you send out the foxhole prayers right over and over. And, um, you know, my prayers were answered, but not necessarily. If I had a list of you know twenty demands, he didn't meet them in the in the way that I had you know, before. Uh, he had a he had a, it was a totally different chapter, and um, so my parents called uh, one night and um, let me know that they were extremely disappointed in me, 
and said that, um, you know, my grandmother um, believes that I took $30,000 from her. And at that time, I didn't know if I could have done that, but I was drinking to a point where I didn't know who I was or where I was. And I'd find myself in different parts of the country. And sometimes I wake up, you know, or come to it and I'm playing a tambourine with a, you know, a couple of business guys and a prostitute, you know, and, and then you, you find yourself in an abandoned apartment later and you just find yourself in, in just unique situations, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like an episode of The Hangover. <laughs> Except for it was my real life. I know. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when I look back and I, and I think about it, like I can laugh at it. And I can tell by the facial expressions that you guys have, like, whoa, yeah. um, it was, it was extremely, it's extremely insane the way that I was living. Uh, but that was what I, you know, I, that was normal at that time. Right. Yeah. Um, bizarre to everybody else, uh, hey, but not me. And Spielberg reminded us, we actually have some listeners in, in South Korea. Hello and, to all you people in South Korea <laughs> so, listening to us. Yeah, hello. And some of them might be like, I, I remember this <laughs> guy. He was a guy playing the tambourine. <laughs> he taught me He taught me English. Uh, oh, Lord. <laughs> well, I can tell you, so I live in Chungju, which is south. And one day I decided to hop on a, uh, a bus. And I used to, the only way I could keep my bearings is by counting tunnels. And so I, t- I, I wanted to go to Seoul that day, and it was about four hours south of Seoul. So I ride this bus. I'm, I'm like a hobo. I, I got my bottle of gin in my backpack, right? I'm just drinking on this uh, gin. And so I get up. They drop you off at the bus stop, and, uh, and uh, uh, a, a Korean uh, service um, uh, member came up to me because he saw that I was Anglo, and he's like, where are you going? And I was like, hotel. So he took me to <laughs> – it had to be a brothel. Right. Like it was, uh, you know, whatever. So I ended up there and, um, and then, you know, you wake up the next morning, you're like, this is, what am I doing? And so then I go back out to the the bus station and I thought that I said Chengju, but I said like Guangzhou or something. So they put me on a bus to a completely different part of the, the country <laughs> and I get there and I counted four tunnels going up and I counted like seven going back. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> we've kind of lost connectivity and then I ended up getting off at a bus station there and I just handed my cell phone to somebody that talked to talk to the academy owner and then they told me that we were four hours east of where I lived and so he gave me a cab it was like a $250 cab ride back to the town I lived in so that anyways you can buy a lot of drugs with that money right yeah um so um, left there after my parents told me that I was a disappointment and, and then, uh, you know, they felt as though that I stole money from my, my grandmother. Come to find out I didn't. And however, when my mom said, you know, you've done some pretty low things, but this is crossing the line. I thought about that and I didn't, I, you know, my grandmother was 86 or 87 at the time just a, just a wonderful human being. And I, and I was being accused of stealing money from her. Um, and rightfully so. I mean, you could have, I mean, I, I would have, it was not, they were not wrong for feeling it was me. However, I didn't do it. And the, the problem that I had was that I, my, I had been living in a manner in which the people that love me the most thought that I was capable, capable of that. Yeah. 
And so when people talk about what's rock bottom, right? Like, is it losing your home, your marriage, your kids, or, you know, your job or when you, so I, you know, I lost basically everything. Right. But the lowest point for me was when my family believes that I could behave in a manner to steal from uh, the person that I probably held in the highest regard at that time, which is my grandmother. And um, so I just felt extremely low. And I said, Hey, can I come back? And my dad's like, no. Uh, and my mom was like, well, if you think about going to treatment, you know, we, we'd like you to do that. And so I said, you know, at that time I was like, no, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to do that. And that was, you know, just after Christmas of 2006. And so then I let that be, I let that resonate for, you know, about another week or two. And I was just so miserable. You know, I just, I, I, I literally, I had like a, probably a three or 400 square foot apartment. And I, and I would just sit there in this little, on the floor, and you just drink until you just start crying. And then, you you know, you, you maybe fall on there, you know, like lean over, and then you'd wake up and you just, you do the same thing over and over. And um, so eventually I just said, you know what, I, I, wanna, I, want, I want to get sober. I want a life, you know. I need this life. And so that's, I went, I, I called the Arch. I knew that the uh, Archman's halfway house was a very, strict uh, facility I called them and I asked them if I could get in and um, you know they they said yes I had to come back to the states um, I remember my last drunk uh, and which I was very I feel very fortunate that I was able to have that celebratory like <laughs> this is my last night uh, and I and, and I can tell you that there's not a whole lot of folks that get to choose that moment but I, I did and um, then you know within two weeks of coming back I, I was able to go to the arch so that that about that about brings me to where sobriety started to take off yeah and my God what we're talking about <laughs> right now all right slow pitch go with it man you're you're with the veterans I'm sorry yeah, uh, you know, so just, you know, and it's actually, this house is, um, they have a lot of federal uh, individuals that, you know, have are, are waiting for um, pending charges uh, and, and court systems, and um, there's a lot of individuals that, you know, maybe were uh, involved with distribution, uh, maybe manufacturing, uh, so all of my peers in there, there's a lot of individuals that were uh, felons, and I was, I was the only individual in there at the time that didn't have a pending charge. And so um, one of the, the counselors, uh, he just asked me, he's like, why are you here, right? Because everybody, he understood why everybody else was there, right? Because the court system is telling them that they have to do this. They're part of their, you know, whatever it is, uh, <laughs> their, their, their challenges, right? And so uh, I just told him, I don't know. My life sucks, and I don't have a better place to go, mm -hmm. right? And so he said, okay, here's the deal. Why don't you just come here and put your head on this pillow every single night until I tell you to stop? And that was it. And I said, okay. And so, you know, that's really in, in its simplest form how I started to uh, try to hopefully work God's will, right? Which was just allow somebody else that has a better idea of how to run my life, just make a decision for me, right? And just, just don't question it. And when somebody says, hey, you need to do this, I just go, okay. You know, 
and knowing that they're looking at things objectively and that they actually do care about me and making these suggestions. And so it started within that house and I was there for 14 months. And then I lived with a couple other guys uh, and so we're living for a couple of years after that. But that's the kind of thing that I needed. I needed the disruption of South Korea, South Korea. And I needed a very uh, disciplined, structured environment to help me. Like he would always tell me, he'd say, you know, all I'm here to do is just try to help you get your miserable life back. And, and that was that was it. I just wanted my miserable life back. I just wanted to be able to live, you know. And, and he'd let me know, uh, you know. I rode the bus, and he'd just say, "I said, why? Well, I, I have a car." He's like, "Guys like you don't need to have cars." And I said, "Okay, well, you know, or any of these things that you'd come up with ideas that you thought you needed, you did." And so um, it was. Uh, it was. It's just this. It's a, this. I, it, anyways, it's a beautiful place. I love that place. It, it saved my life. It really did. And that's where I got this this uh, understanding of God. Because in there, they told me, you don't have to believe in God. You just have to have the willingness to believe. And I was like, I can do that, right? Like, Because one of the guys said, do you believe that I, I believe in God? And I was like, well, yeah. And he's like, well, that's good enough, man. My God's big enough that you can you can borrow part of him. And I was like, Okay, <laughs> and so you know, it was these things that I just didn't really, you know, I, I was, I was like, I wanted to, I wanted to get closer to to God because I knew that this was something that would pull me out, but I, it was really tough to make this transition to have faith, right? Um, anyways, that's that house is the house that helped not just you know provide structure uh, in sobriety, but then also helped me find God. Uh, it helped me learn how to build relationships with men. It's you know, really, uh, that fellowship in that home has also been a parallel for, you know, those relationships in F3 due to the structure, accountability, the, you know, the faith, the guy next to you believing in the guy next to you to, you know, think of you uh, as well. Um, you know, so uh, that's that's a portion of that whole deal. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you want any more of that. I just kind of barked on you. No, that's okay. Um like I said, this isn't scripted. We'll go where we got to go. Absolutely. Yeah. But it uh, sounds like tough love at that place, you know, and, uh, and is what you needed. You know, you kept praying, and God's answering your prayers, right? He doesn't answer the yeah. way we want him to sometimes. But, uh, like, today I was golfing, and after I was playing with a fellow PAX member, Porky's, and after the uh, eighth hole, I said, we need to pray because we're both playing badly. <laughs> so we prayed to play better, and guess what? The answer was no. So That's anyway, correct. there's that. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you got, uh, you said to help you find your faith. So what is your faith now? Man, that is a, a very complicated thing, right? So I wish it was very simple. My faith today is that I believe in a higher power. I, you know, I choose to call God, right? I, I talk to God every single morning. I start my morning every day on my knees. I uh, read uh, meditation books. I ask God uh, to give me the willingness to be helpful to others and to be helped by others. And then I believe that God works through others. And so in order for me to be helped by other people, I got to tell them what's going on in my life and be vulnerable so that maybe God can use that individual as a conduit. Because when I come up and I sit there and I think, you know, God's talking to me, it's just the crap that I'm creating in my mind. It ain't God, right? Like, hey, no, you should eat more Cheetos. Like, that's just, <laughs> that's, you know. Uh, so I have to run that by other people. You know, an Alcoholics Anonymous, that's a sponsor. Um, and, you know, my sponsor I've had for 15 years, and he's an ex-Marine. And he helps me filter all that crap, right? And so um, as long as I stay uh, up to date with him, 
as long as I stay up to date with others around me, you know, I believe that God's working through people around me to help guide me. Um, you know, the other thing is, is, uh, you know, I, it, it can, it can sound offensive. It's uh, not meant to be, but one of my challenges with Christianity and I, and I grew up, um, in an Episcopalian faith, uh, and, you know, and I was a part of fellowship of Christian athletes and, and so I, I have, you know, conceptually an idea of what Christianity is like. My, my faith had lacked uh, that Jesus was the Son of God, and just because of my own mental roadblocks. And so one thing that I've uh, found in F3, because I believe that I was, you know, um, guided there some way, shape, or form, was that God put these people in my life that I am open to listening to learn more uh, about Jesus being the Son of God, mm-hmm. in order to lower my own personal walls, so that I can have that belief, you know, moving forward. And and before it was a very rigid, high wall that said, you know, I don't want what you got. I'm good. And now it's more along the lines of, hey, you know, I'm I'm interested. You know, I, I really want to learn more. And I and I talk to uh, a couple different individuals on a regular basis. One, I hope that you know my my running next to them that it just kind of rubs off on me. But then two through conversation and, and understanding that, um, you know, over time I've, you know, I've, I've, I've prayed to Jesus, right. I've talked to Jesus. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I go in and out of, of those discussions with God or Jesus, because I'm still uncertain. I just know that there is a God, right. I know that, um, there's a creator. There's somebody that has looked over me. There's just a whole lot of other confusion in there. Uh, if that makes that makes any sense. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, everybody's faith journey is different, right? Yeah. And, you know, as Christians, you know, we think, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and he's um, not only that, but you talked about, you know, how God speaks to us, both for other people and the thoughts that you have in your mind or whatever, and you got to filter that stuff somehow. Um, but as Christians, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and so if ha- everything has to line up with that, you know, because without that, then we're, we make up our own rules. Um, so that's, that's my faith. That's where I'm coming from. You know, I gotta, I got like in, in F3, we talk about it all the time. The faith just stands for believing in something bigger than yourself, which, which is fine. Uh, it's, it's the idea is to become a servant and make sure that the, you don't think the universe revolves around you. Yeah. So you could be a, a more virtuous leader, but the goal is to make virtuous leaders. I don't know how you become a virtuous leader unless you believe virtues exist. And I don't know how you could decide on what virtues are unless somebody set them out to begin with and that would be God. So anyway, uh, and that you know, for me, they're found in, in God's word. And that's what, you know, what I go by. Everybody's faith journey is different though. Uh, you really have, you hit rock bottom. You, you called out to God. I think he's answering you. He's bringing you along. However, in his timing, keep talking to him and keep talking to him. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to keep talking to him. Maybe my golf game will improve one day. Although I think there's some practice involved there. I'm not sure. Yeah, your golf game needs a little bit more than prayer, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Just like mine. Just to be clear, just like just mine. Just like yours. So, you know, it's a matter of managing expectations. Yes. Right? So, yeah. If I don't expect to play well. Well, you know, well is playing well is a relative thing, right? Yeah. I know there's a there's this number out there called par, but whatever. My par is 100. <laughs> if I'm under 100, it's been a good day. Yeah. <laughs> Keep track by how many balls you lose. All right, sorry, we went off track there a little bit. Uh, so That's you got right. out of there. How'd, how'd you meet your wife? And, and stop me if oh, I'm jumping ahead of your your story too fast. But you know, oh, 
it, you know, hey, look, my my story can go. You, you guys don't have enough time. It's it's a mess. Uh, it, my wife. So when I was at the halfway house, they said, "Hey, you need to go work in a place that's you know almost humiliating, if not humbling." And so I had worked for a restaurant company, a corporation that I was a corporate training manager for for years, and I and I used to train managers for their company. Anyways. I went there and worked as a host and I worked for some people that I had trained, uh, you know, to be the general manager and the, and the managers of the store. And so I went to them and I said, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm in recovery. I'm working this half or I'm living in this halfway house. Can I, can I just work here? And they're like, as a, as a manager, like you're the one who trained me. Right. And I'm like, no, as a host, they're like, you just want to roll silverware and seat people. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's the deal. So I did that and um, I was there and, you know, they were very, they were very, uh, they were loving, right? They were, I was like the kid that stick, you know, stick the fork in his eye and I'd be like, just don't worry about him. Because you're, when you're getting sober, when you're like myself, my story is getting sober sucked. It was really, really hard. I didn't know how to deal with emotions. I didn't know how to deal with life. Yeah. And so as these things are happening. Like, it's like, you just, I don't know, but they were very gracious and they just let me be right. Like they, they, they were happy to provide a safe place. And so um, I'm doing that. And uh, this, 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 this beautiful woman uh, who is uh, waiting tables is there and she's seeing me roll the silverware and she really likes how well I roll silverware. Okay. And uh, I'm <laughs> one of the finest in uh, all of downtown Omaha. And so, um, she, you know, we, we went on a date. And so the first date we go out on, um, she's, you know, we're, she, she knows I'm sober. I've been sober for two years. I tell her a little bit about my story. And I, and I had asked, so here's the thing. I had asked God beforehand. I said, God, please help me. I'd never been honest with any other woman before in my life. Please help me be honest as, as, as I can. Right. And I just want to do that. And he's like, okay, man. And so we sit down, we're having dinner and we're talking about some things. And so the conversation turns and she goes, have you ever cheated on any of your girlfriends? And I was like, and I said, all of them. Wait, what date and, was this uh, that she asked you? Number one. Wow. Right out of the gate. <laughs> <laughs> so God, God granted me the courage to say that. Right. And so, uh, that was one of those moments where it was like, Hey, if, you know, if, if you have the ability to be honest, you're going to build a relationship on honesty from the get go. Great. And that was, you know, that was not probably the answer that she was hoping for, but it was the truth. And so we went on another date the next day because I, before this date was over, I'm like, do you want to go out again tomorrow? Because I knew that that might be the only moment that I have to ask her out again. And she said, sure. And so we did. And then, and then we, then, then we were done. She said, I'm good. Right. Like she's like, I'm breaking up. I don't, I don't want to hang out with you. Uh, you're weird. Um, she's not sober, you know, and, and there's, you know, I'm, if you're around me for more than 15 minutes, you're going to, you're going to discover that I'm, I'm a little bit off center. And so she had that figured out. She didn't, her cup was full of that already. And so, uh, you know, it was about, um, three months after that, she called me and she said, you know, would you like to go out to dinner? And I, and I said, okay. And so we did, and we talked, you know, we talked about God. We talked about, um, you know, our relationship, you know, just with people in the past, 
you know, she was, you know, she was completely, you know, fearful of, you know, my answer of just telling her on the first date that I cheated on all my girlfriends. You know, that's not, you know, she was, she was thinking that she could be the next person to that. I was thinking, if I tell you this, I got to be accountable to my words, right? Like, it's already, it's already, it's already revealed that I'm, I'm a cheater. So, um, you know, we had, there's, there's a really good dialogue. And then for some reason, she, well, she was out of options is what it was. And, you know, <laughs> over time she, you know, she, she became this girl that I fell in love with. And, um, you know, she's not, she's not an alcoholic, but she's got uh, the ability to, to forgive somebody who still has alcoholic behaviors you know, I, you know, I can act like an alcoholic, right? Um, I'm just not a drink. And so there's, there's certain traits that I can have that aren't very attractive. You know, selfishness, you know, full of ego, um, you know, thinking I'm always being prevented from something or somebody's taking stuff away from me. You know, there's just a lot of these things that I have that, um, you know, she just, you know, she's allowed me to be me. And sometimes she's like, you're insane. But that's, you know, that's, that's okay. You know, she's been really good with that. So there's, um, you know, I think all of us are, are, are damaged. You know, we have, you know, suitcases of, of luggage in the back of our car and, and both of us had, you know, just enough of that. And, and mine, you know, uh, I shared openly up front. So it's not, it's like a big surprise later. You know, a lot of times you date somebody and all of a sudden there's like a big surprise. You're like, whoa. If we could have discovered that in the first six days, you know, maybe we wouldn't have to be figuring that out today. But um, it gave her a sense of security to know that, and and fear, right, that I could be that honest with, you know, what I was telling her, um, but that it was okay, right? It was okay for her to share, you know, insecurities. It was okay to be vulnerable. It was okay to, you know, to, to let me know that she's, you know, not this perfect human, like how we try to be polished. And so... It, it's it's worked out, you know. We've been together for 13 years, um, and it's and it's worked out really well because I, you know, I try to accept her for her for, for who she is. Um, certainly, there's expectations I put on things, but she's she's been the one who's been very tolerant of me and my behaviors um, over the years. So that's she's amazing. Thanks for sharing, man. That's that that in and of itself is just a great story and lesson um yeah powerful powerful yeah cool dial up the hopeless romantic i am i'm a hopeless romantic yeah i mean just think like uh, how many (laughs) so often you know you're you're, you're spot on right so often folks are starting relationships and they want to hide the ugly stuff right they they only want to show off all the positive traits and characteristics and to capture her heart, but man, just to lay it all out there right from the get go, that sure, you know, sounds like probably the better way to do it. Yeah, I did that with <laughs> my wife. Yeah, she didn't ask me on the first date, but uh, she asked me the hard questions eventually, and I just was totally honest. And I was, I was usually like that. I used to say, "I'm an open book. You know, I'll tell you whatever you want," because I was arrogant enough to think that you'll like me anyway. And. Uh, and whatever, and if you don't, well, now move on, next one, you know. But, uh, but it, it 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 was it really helped us, you know, in our, in our relationship early in our relationship to, for me to be honest with her too. So that's a, I agree with you. Dial up. Well done, slow pitch. Oh, thanks. Now we've oh. found a new way to to woo women. Roll silverware. Well. 
<laughs> yeah. Can we can we put together a how-to video to share with our single packs uh, yeah. across F3 Nation? Right. Now, I, I got to yeah. ask this. I know this is totally stupid, but uh, when you rolled silverware, was this a restaurant with cloth napkins and stuff? You know, like, you know, whatever. Because the, the reason I ask is, when I go to a restaurant, if I grab that darn napkin and I just pick it up and everything rolls out into my other hand, then that's that's good silverware rolling. You know, when I got to unfold it and get to it, I, I don't like that. I get mad about that. Our local Olive Garden does it the wrong way. So I get upset. Either one of you guys ever works in a restaurant? No, but I eat no. a lot of them. Yes, he does. <laughs> no, you don't want to you just, just whatever belief you have today to keep you going back, just keep that. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You don't want to know what happens behind closed I'm, doors. I'm building my immune no. system, okay? That's what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, so yeah, we used to have cloth napkins when we were, you know, and I, I worked for the, the company for 10 years and we'd wash, you know, this was still a time in the late 90s, early 2000s, you could still smoke inside the buildings and the restaurants, right? So, uh, servers, you know, we would have to wash our own linen. And so, you know, whether it was the gum, whether it was, you know, whatever else is still in the, oh, the napkin, right? And you blow your nose in it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to trust some 19-year-olds who's, you know, stoned, you know, because they were smoking pot in the alleyway and then coming in and chain smoking cigarettes to get all, wash all the germs out of there for you to, you know, roll your silverware up, your silverware up in there because I know exactly what that was like. I'd look out in the office we had this back room and, and it was just like, you know, eight servers chain smoking cigarettes, just hoping that that stuff would get clean enough that they, you know, almost dry, but not quite dry, mm-hmm. you know, so they could roll silverware so they can get out of there. And, you know, you take your, you put the cigarette out, right? And then you fold the linens, right? And then you pick the cigarette <laughs> back up. Yeah. So anyways, man, that's how that went. <laughs> and now we know what image you're going to have in your head when you... <laughs> Pick up your silverware at the next. Yeah, I don't care. Restaurant. Uh, I don't care. I don't want anybody blowing nose in my napkin. But and I'm gonna I'm, and I'm gonna pay attention to whether I can. Yes. Unfold it. Everyone and it who just listens to this right into is my hand. Pay attention to that. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh, good enough. <laughs> All right. So then you, you, know. you have your uh, your children, right? Yep. You were 37 when you had the first one. Yes. Uh, so my son. Um, you know, let me, let me back up. So I asked, like, here's, here's, there's, there's moments of God, right? And I, so I cry when I am able to get, um, a, a, a wedding ring for my wife, right? Because I never thought that I would ever be loved enough to be engaged. And so I'm, I'm going to purchase this thing. I start crying at the counter and she's like, are you okay? I'm like, look, I'm just overwhelmed with emotion because I, Look, I, I've lived a way of, of life that I didn't think that I deserved somebody this special. I didn't think that I deserved love, right? Like outside of my parents, you know, there was really no, I didn't have any other great traits. And so you have this, I, I in my mind, you know, I was going to, I was supposed to go this work trip to Chicago. I was going to propose we're there. I called my sponsor and he's like, look, man. It doesn't have to be, you know, special. It's just the moment. If you feel the moment, you do that. You don't have to plan this big old trip. It doesn't have to be in front of the fountains. It doesn't have to be anything like that. If you feel it, do it. So I called my now father-in-law, and I was driving down the road, and I said, Hey, Mace, um, would it be okay if I asked your daughter to marry me? And he said, uh, I heartily I heartily agree with that. And I, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. I said, you hardly agree with that? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, 
He said, no, wholeheartedly. And I was like, okay. So I, you know, I got the okay. I get to the apartment that we were living in and I couldn't, I could not wait. It was that like that night. Um, and, and so, um, Top Gun, the original was on. And so I, I got on my knees and I asked God, I said, God, you know, please help me. You know, if there's a sign, you know, if there's something, I want to make sure I'm doing the right, making the right decision. You know, please help me with, uh, you know, whether or not I should ask Melissa to marry me. And there's a, there's a part of that uh, movie where he says, engage Maverick, engage. And I'm not joking. <laughs> and I was like, this is a sign from God, right? Like he's really telling me to get engaged. So I was like, okay. So I went and grabbed the ring and I went to the bathroom and I'm like, Hey, uh, I, I want to know if we can get married. And she's like, are you, you know, she's like, are you asking me to marry you? And I was like, well, yeah. She's like, well, get on your knee, you know, at least or something. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And, um, so you have moments like that, right. You know, and then, then with, with a child, you know, you're trying to have a child and it doesn't happen in the time frame that you'd set, you know, that you'd hoped, and, uh, and so then you have that child and because you'd ask God, you know, please, you know, do, can we, can we have that? And, and so you do, and, and you, you just feel like you've been given this amazing gift. And, and I, I remember that moment I have this, I never knew the hole that I had inside of me until my child was born. And so, um, what true love was right. And that happened. And then, um, on, the day before my 40th birthday, uh, we, we were having, we were pregnant again and we were at my mom's house for my birthday party. And my wife said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to labor. And my, my, my mom liked drinking wine at this time. And she said, well, that's too bad. He hasn't, Aaron hasn't opened his gifts yet. And my wife's like, no, we're going to go to the hospital. And so, um, about, uh, is about 39, 40 minutes before my 40th birthday, I had my, my second child. So she's, uh, about, you know, 40 years, uh, between my birth and her birth, it's just, you know, uh, a day apart there. And so I have these, uh, two young gifts that God's given me, you know, kind of, um, uh, I'm a little bit later to the party, you know, I'll be a little bit older parent, but I wasn't, I wasn't in a position to be a parent when other people were, were having kids, you know, in their twenties and thirties. So was, it just wasn't what I was capable of doing. So I'm glad I waited. I, I, just anyways, there's, just a, I appreciate uh, being a dad a lot, you know, um, and, I'm, and I'm glad that I'm mature enough, uh, in air quotes, to uh, be a dad, you know, in my in, at this time and have young kids. So, yeah. So uh, that was Iceman, by the way, that said "engage, Maverick, engage." So God spoke to Iceman. <laughs> did you? So I. So I. Of course, I've got. A lot. Did you pause the movie? Did you like? time it so like the the scene at the end they're celebrating on the on the flight deck after they return from chasing the you know chasing the enemy away and like that's when you're that's when you're asking her or is like did she say yes and then like like they're celebrating on the flight deck then that music kicked in like I, i got all kinds of like images going on in my head of this whole thing happening you have no idea. The rest of that story is probably not for radio. How it goes. Uh-oh. They didn't see uh, the rest of the movie. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, so I have, I have a tendency to kind of just, you know, you black out, you get static, right? So you hear things that, you know, that kind of fit. You go do your thing and there's nothing going on in the background that you can even pay attention to. I have no idea what's going on after that moment, right? I just, 
Uh, you know, you kind of lose cabin pressure. And, and, and you, and you go through that and then, you know, you're kind of excited, uh, about being engaged. Um, and, and anyways, you know, our, 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 uh, celebration dinner was, um, Kraft macaroni and cheese. And, uh, you know, that, um, there's a whole long story that goes with that and, and, uh, a cat. And so, you know, we don't have to get into all that, but that's, that was our, that was that celebration. And that, Top Gun could have been going on in the background, but I was I was actually I was distracted with other things at that time. Well, for, all, for all he knew, Maverick and Iceman got shot down. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and it was just and it was a pathetic <laughs> ending to the movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, Do you want to know how crazy people think I am when I tell that story? They're like, "What? Oh my God! God, talking to the TV!" Engage, Maverick, engage! Like, oh. Okay, man. You know, there's Uh-oh. so many names you could have gotten, yeah. you know, other than slow pitch. I mean, you could have been Mav, you could have been Betty Crocker for your silverware folding skills. I mean, you know, so many things. Engage, <laughs> just simply engage. Engage, Maverick, engage. Yeah. Engage. Engage. Well, I'm sorry, well, I took you away from your. T- you t- you're telling a, a a very heartwarming story about your children and being a dad. So I apologize for taking away from that. Uh, I think that's you know a profound moment in every man's life. You know, when you get married and then when you have kids, man, especially. When the first one's born, you first become a dad, and, and you don't really think you know what you're doing all the time, and you're trying to figure it out, and 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 all that stuff. And so, you know, I appreciate your comments about that. Think uh, think of all the more life wisdom he has, though, by yeah having the kids a little a little later in life. I know I could probably do things better had I had ten more years of life wisdom before having kids. Maybe yeah. maybe I would have done better. I don't know. Uh, you, you had them right when you were supposed to. That's exactly right. Yeah. And they're doing just fine. So, um, yeah, you get involved with F3. I think, you know, as having your second child when you're 40, you're going to have to stay with F3 till you're about 70. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Make sure you stay in shape, brother. <laughs> well, there's, uh, uh, you know, I, I heard, um, Dark Helmet talking about some physical ailments that he's kind of uh, uh, gone through, and then also um, Dial Up, you're talking about your back as well. And so sometimes those ailments, right, you know, they kind of poke up, and, and you want to stay in shape. You know, there's like two thirds of your body that says we can do this sometimes, and then there's that third that says, well, you ain't going to do it on this foot, or you're not going to do it on this shoulder, you know, and, and just kind of how that goes. So I uh, would love to make it to 70. I'd be, I'd be down. Um, but uh, I found myself. Uh, making multiple trips to the doctor the last couple of years, so yeah, yeah, that happens. We had we have a triple respect guy in our packs, and he, he does really well. Legend, by the way, <laughs> yeah. shout shout out to Legend from F3 Susquehanna Valley. So uh, the, tell me what your uh, I know you kind of mentioned how you you ramped up things when you first started F3, going to like one workout a week, and then you kind of built up yeah. from there. So what are you doing now? Like how how many times do you post during the week? What do you, what are you doing? Uh. So we, it's, it's been, so since July of 19, I've been going to six days a week, right? I did the, everything starts, I understand this is, this is how I work. I do something, I don't like it. Then I go, okay, well, I better do that since I don't like it. Right. And then I'm going to get better at it. So that was the first workout. The second workout, like if anybody knows, I hate running. So the second workout I went to was a, was all running AO. So I did that and I'm like, this is stupid. And so I continued to do that. And then the third workout that I went to was the Merv. And we know that I don't like Merkins. And so then you do the, you do that. So then I decided to do that. And then 
Uh, eventually, uh, after about two and a half, three months in F3, I asked my wife, I said, hey, can, are you okay with me going to another morning? And she goes, what do you want to go every day? And I didn't reply. I was just like, yep. <laughs> so then I, I, I started doing that. And uh, I, I've done that nonstop. And then we, uh, there was what they did, they called the Smurf, which was, you know, instead of on Mondays, you know, they started at 4.45 in the morning for a few guys that couldn't, you know, make it to the 5.30 and then go and get home in time. So I, I started doing the Smurf at 4.45 in the morning. And then you go to the, the Murph at 5.30 in the morning. So you double Murph on a Monday morning. And then somebody said, hey, you want to pre-run? So then we pre-run. And you do that. And then so it ends up now that I do two workouts Monday morning. And then I do the pre-run uh, and workout Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then I do a running AO on Wednesday. And that's kind of where I've just got stuck. So it's... You know, I haven't changed from that for three years. I've seen you guys. I've seen you guys on Twitter. So you do the full Murph every every week, or is, modif- modif- or is it modified right. slightly? It's all modified. You, you know, not, not, no one's hardly anyone's wearing weight vests. It's broken up in different. Uh, you know, so you can do you know, let's say a, you know a half mile run, and then you do five sets. You know, of each, and then you do another, you know, whatever distance running, and then you do three sets, and you do two sets. So it's broken up. It's not your traditional one mile. You know, finish all the all the reps, yeah. and then one mile. So, but you get all yeah, the, you get all the reps in and all the running in, yeah, in one way, shape, yeah. or form. Cool. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I've always thought that was pretty impressive. What I've seen, yeah, since uh, some of those out there in the Twitter universe. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. I so, guess. What's what's new in Omaha? What's new in the uh, F three Omaha? You guys doing got up to anything? Uh, you want to know the truth? We 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 exploded, right? Like so, I when I came in, I was one of two guys that was uh, an FNG on the one year anniversary. I was number I don't know one ninety seven, right? And now we are maybe between fourteen and fifteen hundred packs members have at least come once. I would say every single day, you know, there's maybe 200 plus guys posting. We have um, seven to eight sites a day. You know, I don't want to uh, bring it up, but so there's, I mean, we keep opening new sites, right? And so it's, it hasn't slowed down. We're, we're starting to try to, we're, we're thinking of um, splitting the F3 Omaha into multi-regions because, you know, the one Nantan that's here is, it's kind of overwhelming uh, to have that many uh, individuals and responsibilities and uh, everyone tugging at your shirt, you know, and, and then the, um, the third F component that happens with that, you know, there's, I, I can't tell you how many tens and tens of thousands of dollars that have been raised for these organizations throughout our community and scholarships. And I mean, I, you know, I, it, I don't do very well when I'm uh, talking up what F3 Omaha does for the community because I, I don't want to sound uh, like we're bragging, but it's it's absurd uh, in, a, in a number in my mind of what people dedicate financially to so many organizations throughout our community and that are so selfless with their time. And, you know, when you talk about the mission statement of what F3 is, um, 
it's that we we built we so every single one of our F3 workouts there's a standard that we have that we mandate all of our uh, cues to do um, and it starts with a mission statement you have to you have to state the five core principles you have to state that you're not a professional and the credo right and that that starts every single uh, workout that we have because we want everybody to know this is what this is we don't vary from this at all and so um, after that, it can change a little bit, right? You know, with the workout and stuff like that. And then with the COT, you know, that's usually from your heart, but it can be whatever it wants or whatever you whatever you feel you want to have. Uh, but, you know, we feel like if it's that template and understanding that we're, we're here to work out to invigorate male community leadership, that we there's, there's no question what we're doing, right? And so uh, we've, you know, we have a couple uh, third F individuals um, that, that kind of just, uh, you know, navigate, you know, reaching out to some of those. And we've got, you know, dozens of guys that whatever hits home to them is close to them. We also get involved with. So, uh, F3 Omaha, in my mind, um, I've, I've never been a part of another, um, region, you know, to watch its growth. I've been to other sites. And I, and I think every every region and site that I've been to is special in its own. I, I've just been a part of this, and it's super exciting to see what it does uh, as far as following what the mission statement is, and and um, it's it's impressive, you know. It, it, anyways, that's well, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that that that's, uh, makes us feel pretty small, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah we're a kind of rural area. We don't have that much population, but we. We could do better. We just named an expansion queue who's uh, just getting to work on things. So we've been around for two years, and uh, we, I don't know, what do we get, like four FN, five FNGs? No, I don't know. How many FNGs do we get a year? Either? They come in streaks, yeah. I don't know. You probably Ten. get more in a month than we get in a year. Yeah, probably. So, anyway, it's uh, yeah, good it, to know. That's inspiring. We got we, we could always step up our game uh, yep. And uh, try to do that. Uh, we have one site every every Monday through Saturday, so we, we're not even big enough that we that we have to split into multiple AOs on a given day because you know today we had six guys post, and that's about average for Wednesday six to eight. Yep. Saturdays is more like like eight to fourteen in that range, maybe. Yep. So we haven't really had a a need uh, to split unless you're talking about division by or multiplication by division. They talk about that, you know, splitting, and then the AOs grow. But anyway, whatever. That's really cool, though. I'm really glad. It's exciting to hear about that. I knew you guys out in Omaha were doing some some uh, some good stuff, and you got involved. Now you're helping out back at the uh, the veterans place that helped you, right? Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, I got asked uh, to be a board member there. Uh, you know, I uh, whether it's F three, whether it's um, uh, Archman's halfway house. Uh, you know, there's there's certain things that I I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for. Right, because the positive things that have happened in my life, like I would not be here today without the Arch Men's Halfway House. I mean, that's I don't, I, you know, that's it saved my life. Uh, the the way that that was put together, uh, where, where God had me intersect, you know, that facility, those individuals that were all there at that point in time. That's my life immediately changed and for the better. And then when uh, I was introduced to F three, it's grown exponentially with that as well. And I'm, I'm a huge advocate, you know, all the guys in our office, uh, which is only eight, but everyone's been to F3, right? At least once, they all think that I'm crazy and it's stupid, you know, that I'm talking, you know, about different, you know, waking up, at, I, you know, I wake up at four, I, I had a coach that told me, 
um, you, you have to wake up at least an hour before you do any practice or you're kind of worthless at what you do. And so I've always carried that with me. So I wake up at four every day before I, I get out there and I do my meditation and my prayers and stuff like that. And a lot of guys think that I'm insane here for doing that. But I also believe in, um, you know, carrying whatever the message of F3 is out to others around us. Um, it's, it's such a special fellowship. It's such a special group of men, as you guys understand. You know, and, and, and one of the things that I think about, you know, I'm almost, I'm, I'm, I'm envious and jealous sometimes of the six-man group. Um, you know, I think we get to this point sometimes where we hope that when you're queuing, you look around, there's 30 guys. And the reality is that the, the, the relationships that I have the strongest bonds with are when we were, you know, during COVID and it was all shut down and there was just like six of us or eight of us, you know, and you're out there in the cold. You know, you guys understand winter. I mean, nobody in the South really understands what cold weather is. And when it's, you know, negative 20, you know, that's that's my kind of party, right, in comparison to – I don't like 100. I like zero. And, you know, and so um, – but those are the times that, you know, you really force those relationships. And, you know, the six-man, the four-man, you know, the, the, just the, the day that just you and one other guy shows up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I can remember those moments uh, as being some of the most special. And the day or the time that I look at that guy and I go – I know exactly the day, the time, the, 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 the site, what we did that made me fall in love with you as a man and make me trust you. And, um, you know, there's, there's a, it's not the days of, you know, the 30 or 40 guys out there, you know, I can, I hide in the woodwork when there's that many people. So, yeah. yeah I hear you. Well, that's, it's an inspiring story, man. And I think you're well placed as a weasel shaker. Wow, thanks. No, there's so here's here's what I do, right? There is a guy in AA that told me um, about whispers. And he said, when God whispers to you, act upon it. And whispers to me is if I remember somebody's name or a face, then I need to text them, right? And I just say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I love you, you know, whatever that is. And so what ended up happening accidentally was I started doing that with all the PAX members. And so I'd ask, hey, do you have so-and-so's number? Do you have so-and-so's number? Do you have so-and-so's number? And so eventually the individual that held all of those records got annoyed enough for they're just like, here's the Google Docs. You know, just, you know, you mind it yourself. And so I, you know, end up texting all these people all these mornings about whether it's their COT or the guy I work out next to or just in passing, hey, I'm just thinking about you, all these things. And eventually it just, you know, you end up with, I don't know, you know, 800 contacts of F3 guys that if you texted and you just say, Hey, thanks for, you know, thanks for breathing with me or sharing space and time or carrying me or whatever those things are. And, and then, so somebody's like, you should be the weasel shaker. And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know about that. Really? I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not certain. And, and what that even means. Uh, but just by default, because I was told that that's what I'm supposed to do when God whispers that, that I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to say hello to people, right, and and make them feel comfortable. And if they're the six, I'm supposed to run next to them, and and that's that's what I do. You know, I I think about the first time I put on my tennis shoes to come to F3 and how scared I was. And so every single time that I see an FNG or an overweight guy that comes in, I think about the courage that it took that guy to get in here. Right, that morning's different. You know, I know that I only used tennis shoes when I was mowing the yard before, right. And so now I'm putting on tennis shoes with a purpose that day to go run or to go work out and how scary that is. And I have to be mindful that when that guy shows up, he doesn't feel alone. Right. And so I want him to know, Hey man, 
know, we didn't all come in here looking like, you know, Adonis or whoever else. Most of us came in here, you know, out of shape and, and feeling sluggish and scared and fearful. And, and I hope that you just feel calm. I'm, I'm with you, right? Like, if you throw up, I'll throw up. You know, I, I don't know. Let's, let's do this together, right? Like, uh, but, you know, that's, that's kind of what, that's, that's just how I, I live in, in F3, you know. So if it, they gave me a title of weasel shaker, you know, that's an honor. But, you know, really, I just want people to feel comfortable being here, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's great. I did that today. A couple of whispers, uh, guys that I thought of, and I, I sent some text messages out. You know, when he was talking about Korea, I was thinking, I don't know why, but I was thinking about Bruce Lee. You know, he was from China, though, I think, right? He was Chinese. You know how fast Bruce Lee was, right? He wasn't as fast as Chuck Norris. Nobody is. <laughs> Nobody's faster than Chuck Norris. But Bruce, anyway. Lee, Bruce Lee was pretty fast. You know, he had a, uh, a brother that was even faster. Suddenly. No. Suddenly. There it is. Boom, boom. Man. All right. Gratuitous. Moving on. Next topic. dad joke. Yeah. <laughs> uh. All right. Well, I think I should ask you the question that we always ask. I ask this of all my prey. Um, this is your chance to speak to the men of America. Uh, what message do you have for the men of America? You're not alone. You're not unique. You know, there's, um, if you're willing to share the things that you're most fearful of sharing, the guy next to you has experience with that for the most part. And if they don't, somebody else does. And don't get stuck in fear. Don't get stuck in thinking that you're unique. Um, understand that there's, there's just, a, there's so many other uh, men around you, uh, that have, understanding and compassion and empathy of what you've gone through, but you don't get relieved of that stuff if you don't say it, yeah. right? There's there's a lot of power in things that we try to keep a lid on. Um, and if we take that lid off, it, it, it reduces the significance of it, right? And all those things that we're very fearful of, all the little things in the corner that you hope somebody doesn't discover, I always encourage everybody, you know, share the darkest things, right? Share the things that scare you the most, that you're the most ashamed of, and it loses its it loses its value. And, you know, I think the more and more you do that, the more the guy across from you trusts you because they realize how vulnerable you are and they're willing to give a piece of them to you. And then in my mind, you know, relationships are the most important things that God ever that God has ever given us, right? And so you start forming these relationships because of your ability to be vulnerable about the things that you're fearful of, um, and that uh, that you that you, you try to keep inside. So that's what I would share. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's right. No, powerful message. Yeah, I think that's really Great. good. Good really words. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's bring it bring it into the light, right? Um, bring it into light. It's painful. It's scary. Uh, but I think one part of what you said there was kind of not something I really thought about all the time. Because when you're doing that, you're, we're thinking about how that guy could get help, right? You're being vulnerable so you can get help. But the truth is that not only can that occur, but you can help other guys when they see you being vulnerable and uh, and bringing that into the light. I mean, a lot of guys who go through this life as lone rangers. Most guys do. You know, they don't really have a shield lock. They don't really have brothers that they can confide in and uh, and do that stuff. So, um, 
So it's a great message. It's a great message, especially the one about relationships. You know, God is that God gave us this gift of relationship, and uh, it's because we're made in His image, right? And He has the first relationship was between the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and uh, but our first and most important relationship is with Him. You know, and so we have a relationship with uh, our Creator, and, uh, and and then relationship with other people. That's why the top two are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, mm-hmm. and love your neighbor as yourself. We're third. That's what it says in F three. We are third, right? We got to live third. All right. Yeah. Well, dial up. I think we just spoke to another high impact man. We absolutely did. Yeah. Slow pitch. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your schedule to come on here. I know when I read your read your bio um, that you had sent to us, I'm like, this is this is going to be good. I was really looking forward to to talking with you and kind of stepping through your your life story, and it was uh, everything I expected and more. So thank you. Appreciate you just being so open, honest, and uh, vulnerable, maybe, yeah. you know, with, yeah. with everything you shared. So it's greatly appreciated. Thank you. I appreciate being here, man. You guys, uh, I, I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's really a humbling deal, right, to have people ask you questions about your life because I'm not that important, um, you know, and uh, so thank you very much. Well, you are welcome, and you are important. You're important to people that you are in proximity with and your consent and now you just yeah. shared a message with the world because we're just you know we're listened to all over the world if you didn't know that <laughs> and hopefully I, I've seen, seen billboards yeah <laughs> <laughs> of course billboards and you know who knows someday t-shirts but um, we do legit have what I think four continents covered right five I believe five there might oh, only no, be us, us. Yeah, yeah, there might yeah. only be a couple listeners in each of those continents but yeah well we're, we're counting it we're getting there slowly we're counting surely. continents here but we uh, got South America right Spielberg we got South America we got Asia we got Europe right North America that's four the important thing is the folks that need to hear it will hear it yes and yeah. uh, and again you, you came on and you shared and I'm sure this your message is going to speak to somebody and yeah. uh Absolutely. Very inspirational. Uh, Thank you for sharing, man. Thanks for sharing your heart. Thank you. Spielberg, thanks, man. (laughs) Set your clock 15 (laughs) minutes early, Spielberg. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, if you were were late in that house ever, uh, there was was always disciplines, right? Like, they'd call them 100 left, 100 right, so you'd have to write, like, with your right hand, I will never be late again, and then 100 with your left hand, I'll never be late again. So, you all 100 left, 100 right. There it is, Spielberg. My deepest apologies. You can blame work for that. (laughs) Oh, man. I... It wouldn't be any fun if you, if you didn't get razzed, you know? It's the nasty Danville, Pennsylvania traffic. That's what slid yeah, him down to. The three stop signs. So um, <laughs> we're going to make Spielberg write that stuff out righty and lefty after we get off the air. That's a great idea. I like it. Go enjoy so, the World Series, brother. Gentlemen, have a great one. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Continue. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I would like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their story of becoming a high-impact man. More information and resources can be found at highimpactman.com. If you like this podcast, please consider following us on our social media pages or email us at him at highimpactman.com. That is H-I-M at highimpactman.com. The High Impact Man podcast has a new episode every week. And you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast platforms. Have a great week, everyone.